The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. This week's episode is dedicated to the feminine divine. The title of this episode is Breast Health, Why You Should Burn Your Bra. This is my interview with Sydney Ross Singer. According to Wikipedia, quote, the history of bras or brassiers is closely tied to the social status of women, the evolution of fashion, and shifting views of the female body over time. Throughout history, Women have used various garments to support, cover, restrain, reveal, or modify the appearance of their breasts. Artifacts dating back to the 14th century BCE depict women wearing bikini-like garments. By the 14th century CE, the proto-bra was in development in Europe. From approximately the 16th century CE onward, the corset dominated the undergarments of wealthier women in the Western world. By the early 20th century, garments more closely resembling contemporary bras had emerged through large-scale commercial production only occurred in the 1930s. By the time the war ended, most fashion-conscious women in Europe and North America were wearing bras. From there, the bra was adopted by women in other parts of the world, including Asia, Africa, and Latin America, end quote. Sydney Ross Singer is a pioneer of applied medical anthropology and the co-author of the internationally acclaimed book, Dressed to Kill, The Link Between Breast Cancer and Bras. He received a Bachelor in Science in Biology from the University of Utah, after which he attended the PhD program in biochemistry at Duke University. He then transferred to Duke's anthropology department, from which he received his master's degree. He later attended the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston as an MD-PhD student with PhD studies in medical humanities. But then there was a pivot which led to his current work. Using his training in medicine and anthropology, Sidney searches for the cultural causes of disease, empowering people to stop harming themselves by adopting healthier ways of living. He too, as I do, encourage people to live a more beautiful life. Sydney is the founder of the Institute for the Study of Culturogenic Disease and is the director of the Good Shepherd Foundation. He lives with his wife and co-researcher, Soma Grismeyer, off the grid on a rainforest preserve in Hawaii. He joins me today via StreamYard on the Forever Fab podcast to discuss breast health, bras, and raging against the culture machine. 
Welcome, Sydney. Congratulations on your success. And thank you for becoming a member of the beautiful Forever Fab community. Sydney joins me today via StreamYard on the Forever Fab podcast. And he's here to discuss breast health, bras, and raging against the culture machine. Welcome, Sydney. Congratulations on the success of your book. Thank you so much for becoming a member of the beautiful Forever Fab community. I cannot wait to have this discussion with you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Shirley. I appreciate being here. Well, first things first, before we get into the topic of the day, what is the situation in Hawaii after Dora's path? I mean, I know although the hurricane didn't exactly make landfall in Hawaii, but I do believe it was because of Dora that flames fanned all over and destroyed so much in Maui. So how are you? How are your friends? How are your loved ones? How's your community? We're fine, thank you. Um, I'm in the Puna Coast on the Big Island, and uh, we didn't really, I amazingly, didn't feel much of that storm at all. Um, the, the wind hardly hardly went above 30 miles an hour. I mean, it was nothing big. So it was surprising that Maui, which was north of us, the storm was south of us, that they had problems. But um, yeah, fortunately, we're okay. Thank you for asking. Um, it's traumatic for the whole state, but you know, well, all, it, there's so many disasters these days. Everybody's got their disaster story. No kidding. That's another. That's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, but really. Thank, thank you for that update. All right. Well, let's get to the subject matter at hand, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's go back a bit. Where did you grow up and um, what did you aspire to become when you were a child? Well, I grew up in New York City and I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals. But then I, when I got into the real world and actually got into college, I was going into biochemistry. And then after biochemistry, um, I went into medicine uh, and anth- anthropology, I should say, and then medicine. And so I've had a very circuitous life trying to um, satisfy my intellectual needs and desires and my emotional needs. And my heart always went out to animals, which is why I actually left medicine. I was, I was in the MD PhD program at university of Texas medical branch at Galveston. And, um, I had already been at Duke as a biochemistry grad student. That's where I also went to anthropology grad school. And when I was in biochemistry, I got exposed to vivisection and the use of animals in medical, uh, in, in biomedical research. And yeah. it really was distasteful to me. And, and I, I love animals and have empathy for animals. And that made me leave biochemistry and actually go into anthropology, uh, which gave me a perspective on life that biochemistry didn't. Biochemistry was very uh, mathematical, logical, and focused on certain key chemical issues. And anthropology yeah. put everything into perspective and brought culture in. And then uh, I went to medical school. Um, I was in the MD-PhD program uh, with my PhD in medical humanities. Um, and I ended up having a real hard time because I started off in my medical humanities program. And um, they teach things like ethics and history and all that related to medicine. Yeah. And I was preparing for my first year of med school after a year of that. And I didn't want to do the dog lab which at the time in the late 80s when I was doing this, uh, they, had, they, they take a dog and they anesthetize it and then they give it certain chemicals to make its heart go faster or slower and the students just see the beating. We don't learn how to read the EKG or anything. And then they kill the dog. You open the dog's yeah. heart, look for heartworms, and it, it, like, that's the experience. 
And I was told, literally, I asked to get out of this, but the guy I was appealing to who ran the lab uh, in Texas yeah. were pretty conservative in the 80s. Uh, yeah. he, ran, he ran the burn lab and he would burn dogs as part of his deal. So the oh idea God. of empathy, yeah, empathy towards dogs was not his thing. And they tried forcing me to do the lab. And I said, look, this is my moral beliefs. I don't believe that you should torture. How can you be an ethical doctor and learn by abusing animals? And I ended up becoming, uh, I, I, I became more and more insistent in my position and threatened to sue them if they wouldn't let me out with an alternative. Um, oh, wow. And it ended up, I became blacklisted. They let me out. I became an avid spokesman for the issue. And it ended up you know, making me become vegan and everything because I had to be consistent with my beliefs and so forth. My whole life changed. And at that point, um, I, I decided I, after I did two years of my medical school, um, basic sciences, uh, I knew it was time to move on. I felt the, you know, it, the medical school was, uh, they, they shunned me. It was very difficult even though I was yeah. one of the top students, by the way, but it didn't matter. Yeah. So I, I left and I started my own thing, integrating my anthropology with my knowledge of medicine and biochemistry. And I call it applied medical anthropology, which exists, but I, I'm pioneering the field doing it my way. There are very few people doing this. And what I do is I look for the cultural causes of disease because I was told in medical school that most of what we experience as problems we it's caused by our culture, by the things we do ourselves, by yeah. the pollution, by stress, by all the various things we do to ourselves because of our culture. And to me, you, you don't have to model that in animals. So I felt I wanted to develop a new modality of medical research, which looks for the cultural causes of disease by examining human behavior, having people try lifestyle changes, eliminating those problems. And seeing yes. if they can heal from that. And that way we were able to, you know, come. we call this a culturogenic disease. That's a disease caused by the culture. Examples abound. For example, yes. alcohol consumption, tobacco consumption. I mean, those are the two obvious ones. You could throw in all the other nutritional things, all the stress, all the pollution, all of all of that. And those are culture caused. And the problem with the culture caused disease, it's, it's embedded not only... Yes. In the it's embedded in habits, in all sorts of economy. There are people making money on it. There's the medical industry that that makes money on the problems created by it and doesn't necessarily want to challenge those problems. And and you have a whole culture. The the government with tobacco and alcohol, they make money on that. They get taxes. So we become invested in bad behaviors and try to mitigate it with medical interventions. And the, then we become basically a, a sick culture where the norm is sickness because of the culture does it that way. And that's what I started doing as, as an alternative integrating. And we've come up with a lot of discoveries, the first being the bra and breast cancer link. We are definitely going to get into that. But I commiserate with you, Sid, because I was blacklisted from medical school, too. Oh, no <laughs> For kidding. different reasons, but I was, too. <laughs> and I also oh. applaud you for doing some for standing up for your beliefs. And uh, being true to yourself and your truth and starting something and being a bit of a contrarian, but again, sticking to mm -hmm. your truth and what you know to be true and starting something new. So hence applied medical anthropology. Now, when and why did you become focused on breast health? When, as you mentioned, there's so many other things that you could have focused on. Why breast health in particular? 
Well, as it happens, we were, we were doing um, a different study um, in Fiji looking at drug use and so forth. And it, Fiji is, um, at the time we did this in the uh, early 90s, Fiji was um, pretty much a 50-50 bra wearing. And I had no thought about any of this issue, nothing about breasts. My wife was with me. Uh, we worked together. And uh, she was pregnant. And it just so happened that one one day she was hanging out some bras on the line and we were in a remote village on an island, uh, one of the remote islands and bras were not around, you know, I mean, these, these were people living in the jungle. And, uh, so they knew about bras, but they, they weren't wearing them. They were rare. And, uh, this little, this teenage girl came over and she was looking at this bra, wondering what is that? And she was curious, you know, and she heard of them. And so she was looking at it and asking my wife some questions about it. And, and she said, you know, isn't it tight? And my wife said, you know, she thought for a moment and said, yeah, I suppose it is, but you get used to it. And then a week later, um, that, that conversation just stuck in her mind because it was weird trying to explain why do I wear this? Because she was asking those types of questions. What is this? Why do you wear it? Isn't it tight? So then um, a week later, we discover a lump in Soma's breast. And Soma was healthy, active, organic, everything you'd want to do. Like Paul McCartney's wife, apparently, you know, that kind of a healthy person, but she was yeah. suddenly having a breast problem like his wife had. So we weren't eager to do anything in Fiji. We wanted to go right back to the States. We were panicked. And uh, we flew back. And after the long flight from Fiji, at the time we were living in California, we, um, we go in to take a shower after this flight. And my wife removes her clothes and I'm looking at her breasts like differently now, like for clues. Because yeah. I look at lifestyle, like what could she be doing that a healthy woman would suddenly have a breast lump? So um, I look at her breasts after she takes her bra off, and there are these red marks and indentations left by the bra, which I've seen before. She's seen them before, but we never talked about it, never mentioned it. You figure that's normal. You're wearing elasticized clothing. It's going to leave marks in your skin. So you just right. don't think about it. But suddenly it was a clue. Now, while I didn't learn a lot about the lymphatics in medical school, I learned a lot about it as a biochemist. And yeah. the fact is I understood the lymphatics and I immediately thought lymphatic impairment. If you're going to wear something tight like that and it's making marks around the breast, outlining the breasts all around the back, over the shoulders, you're blocking your lymphatics. I mean, you're impairing them. What could that do? My wife asked. I said, well, you're going to accumulate toxins that you can't release. Anything you take into your body any poisons from our food, air, or water, it's going to course through the bloodstream, through all your tissues, and has to be eliminated mostly through the lymphatics. If the lymphatics are so impaired, it's going to So for most of our listeners, who, or some of our listeners who don't know what the lymphatic system does, could you please elaborate and then sure. tell us exactly what, a, what happens to the body when one does wear a bra? Well, the lymphatics are basically the circulatory system of your, the circulatory pathway of your immune system. So what our tissues have throughout them is a network of microscopic vessels, tiny capillaries that are, they have one-way valves in them. They begin in the tissue spaces and they drain the spaces. They're considered part of the interstitium, which is a new name for the tissue that is the skin. And, uh, and this, this tissue, um, it's like the, the extracellular matrix. The cells yeah. are bathed in, in this lymph fluid that's secreted from the capillaries. 
This fluid contains nutrients, goes and, they, and goes to the cells. The cells are discharging their waste products. And then this fluid that the cells are in drains mostly through these tiny vessels that begin and be collect and become lymph vessels that go to the lymph nodes. A lymph node, which most for the breast is in the armpit, these are like bean-sized organs that are filters that look that go through the lymph uh, and, and look for either virus, bacteria, or even cancer cells or cancer cell markers, chemicals, that, let the, that are signs from the lymph that there's a problem. Then these, these lymph nodes have white blood cell production centers that mount an immune response, and then you start taking care of this problem. Now, anything that's too large to go back into the blood capillaries has to go through the lymphatics. So when you have tissue damage from radiation or trauma or anything, that infection, those that has to go through the lymphatics. When you get a mammogram, any radiation damage has to go through the lymphatics. Everything has to go. Now, if the lymphatics are constricted or compressed, which happens when you have a bra, because the bra changes shape to change shape, it applies pressure. And these lymphatics have no internal pressure. I mean, they, they are passively move. Um, there are tiny pumps in the walls of them that they've discovered recently, but they're, it's so tiny that it just had to recently be discovered. And it's mostly just passive drainage. When you breathe deeply, it sucks, it pulls the lymphatics. When you exercise, it increases lymphatic flow over 20-fold the because the muscles are pushing against the lymph vessels. And these lymph vessels have one-way valves. So when you push it, it propels it in one direction. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And eventually, the lymph fluid works its way back to your blood, and it, it mixes with your bloodstream. And that's the way your circulation works. So you have two circulatory systems. You have your blood circulatory and your lymphatic circulatory, which cleans and detoxifies your body and is your immune system. And you can't fight infection with an impaired immune system or impaired lymphatics. So... When you These vessels are relatively superficial, aren't they? Because if you can sort of obstruct them or block them or put pressure on them by wearing a bra, then they're not as deep as what we all understand to be the blood circulation. Is that correct? That's correct. But there are deep lymphatics and superficial lymphatics. And okay. uh, if you compress the superficial, they might they would go deeper. But there's still reduction of, of you know, you have congestion going on. And yeah. they're easily compressed. They're more easily compressed than the capillaries. The capillaries are still working under blood pressure. So if you were to put a rubber band around your wrist, the rubber band would compress your lymphatics before it would compress your blood supply. So your hand will still get blood, but the return will be impaired and it'll eventually swell. So yep. what's happening when women put on a bra and wear it yes. many, many hours a day from puberty mm -hmm. on, for the rest of their lives, and some of them 24-7. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you are causing chronic lymph compression and lymphedema that could be mild depending on how much, but it's chronic. Chronic lymphedema is going to result in tissue toxification. You're not going to be able to cleanse. Tissue is not going to get enough oxygen. By the way, some of these toxins are not just from outside. They're produced inside. They're called yeah. endogenous versus exogenous. The endogenous toxins are produced when you have low oxygen, you start getting free radicals that can't get, oxygen is an important thing for getting rid of things like free radicals, which are a product of metabolic waste and that cause DNA damage. So you can actually, by constricting the breasts, you cause all sorts of problems, both directly from the constriction and indirectly by impairing the ability for the breasts to heal 
because their immune system is being compromised. In addition, the bra itself, which is intimately associated with the breast, have chemical. The bras have chemicals in them. Many of them, if they're oh yeah, if they're synthetic fabric, you're going to be having. You know, if they break down anything that that's synthetic, like nylon, is going to break down, and and it's made of phthalates. You know, I mean, bad chemicals, and these all these break down, and not to mention the the products used not only in the creation of the fabric, but in its storage. And, and, you know, all of the, uh, you know, they want insect repellents when they're storing fabrics. There's a lot of things added to fabrics. When you take it home from the store, you got to wash your clothes. You got to yes. get those. Some of the chemicals, I wash it a couple of times to get those chemicals out, but there's a lot of chemicals packaged in and that's going to get intimately on your breasts, connected to your skin, where you're going to sweat and absorb those chemicals right in. We're talking about the fabric dyes as well as the you know, as the, the fabric and the detergent you're using and the fabric softener that you're going to smell and the perfumes that you're wearing. If you smell the bra and you smell all of these chemicals, they're soaking into your skin. So the bra is delivering toxins as well as preventing them from escaping and wow. impairing your immune system. So the result of this is we have a culture where fibrocystic breast disease is considered normal and it really should be called type bra syndrome because when you impair the lymphatics, what's going to happen? You're going to get fluid accumulating. When the fluid accumulates in the tissue spaces, it forms a cyst. This yeah. cyst will eventually become fibrous with scar tissue. So the reason women are getting these cysts is because they're wearing tight bras, which by the way, the industry, the bra industry admits 80% or more of women are wearing the wrong size. And right. but it's hard to wear. I don't know what the right size is for a garment that's meant to be tight. That's meant True. to constrict. How do you wear, what is the definition of well fit if it's tight by, by design? So that's right. the problem. And, and, and you add to that that women have become conditioned in this culture for the last century into believing they need bras and that they can't go out in public without them. And it's, it's crazy. So we actually did a big study on this. We, we, um, we were amazed to find, first of all, before we did a study, and I questioned this, I looked it up. Was, this is in the early 90s. What's, did anybody look at bras and breast cancer? It should be obvious. No, but they did in yeah. the 30s. They did in the 1930s. They knew that lymph stasis or, or, or congested lymph is, causes cancer. They already saw the lymph stasis cancer connection. And Dr. Mayo of the Mayo Clinic, I have this on my yes. website, a quote, a quote from him. He says, breast cancer is only a problem in cultures where they constrict their breasts with clothing. And, you know, in cultures where they're like third world countries or whatever, where they don't wear bras, they have very little breast cancer. That was already known in the 30s and 40s. And by the way, in the 30s, women were minimizing their breasts as part of the flapper type of masculine look of the 30s. They were bobbing their hair short and they were trying to look masculine and they were binding their breasts as many trans, uh, trans men do now to minimize their breasts. They want to bind them and reduce reduce their, um, their chances of uh, their, their showing of their breasts. They want to minimize them. And it was known that minimization of the breasts with these compression type bras was causing cancer. It was bad. No, there are patents that we found in the fifties that said most bras cause cancer, but 
uh, can cause breast cancer, but our bra doesn't because um, it's made to be less constrictive. They're doing that these days too, based on my research uh, in, in my book that I wrote about this. You've been listening to part one of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Sydney Ross Singer. Stay tuned next week for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.